As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. We are in different locations than usual. This might sound a little bit different. Uh, we are both traveling to various preseason camps this week, and I'm coming to you from Notre Dame, where they're having their media day this week. And Bruce, you are in Norman, Oklahoma, and uh, I suppose you're there, right, to stake out David Bourne's house, find out who the Big 12 is going to add? Yeah, I uh, know. I'm not I'm not chasing conference expansion on this, so I have a we have a couple of TV features we're doing here. Uh, probably not hard to guess what one of them is, and so that'll be that'll be in my Wednesday. Uh, but since you brought up conference expansion, Stu, anything new on your mind as it relates to the Big Twelve sweepstakes? Well, the Big Twelve sweepstakes just keep getting stranger by the week, and so this week's news: uh, Brett McMurphy, ESPN. First, he tweeted out a list of 18 schools that have expressed interest to the Big 12 that will supposedly be giving presentations. Then he added two more to that list on uh, Tuesday, so now we're up to 20 schools. The whole thing is just so crazy because some of those schools have no shot. You know, Arkansas State is on the list, uh, UNLV, Rice, San Diego State, but by the same token, you can't blame them for trying, right? I don't know why every group of five school wouldn't put together a little proposal and uh, send it Bob Bowles before. Well, the last thing you'd want is to for your fans and alums to go, wait a minute, you know, East Carolina's getting in here. The, you know, Colorado State, we, we, should, we should make a pitch too. How come our school's not fighting for us? Right. I mean, the best thing I can say is no. And so I think that's why you've seen, you know, Rice, UNLV, and some of these others emerge you know, with adding to the pack that probably a lot of us thought have no chance. At this point, I actually think that the pack of contenders, of, of realistic contenders, is thinner than when we, I remember when this first came out almost a month ago now, they first had that conference call. We had Pete Thamel on here. We went through the list. We went through all the usual suspects. But at this point, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's a hunch, but I just don't see them going to the point where they would add a UCF or a Memphis or UConn even, I think it's three schools fighting for two spots, BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston. 
since you were the one who did that story at first about BYU, if let's say hypothetically that would were to take BYU off the table, because I thought BYU was the was the strongest contender. Are the other two schools individually? Do you do you, do people think they really would be slam dunks that they could that they're going to get enough votes? Um, no, I, especially not Houston. We've talked about that on here in the past. I mean, I initially thought Houston would have no shot because I thought that Texas schools would block them. But then Texas University of Texas came out in support. Um, I don't know that the other schools in Texas would necessarily try to block them, maybe TCU. But you've talked about it on here before. The resistance is going to come from outside the state of Texas, from schools that recruit in Houston, who Houston would now be beating out. So I don't think it's any certainty that Houston would get 8 out of 10. Cincinnati seems like a pretty safe pick. I don't know why there would be much resistance there. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's all these other issues with BYU. And, you know, look, I reported the story about the letter from the LGBT groups. There's also the news recently that the, um, there's, the government's opened up a Title IX investigation there over allegations that um, that, you know, women would report sexual assaults and it would be turned into the honor code office. Um, which is a little bit too close to what happened at Baylor, I think. It might scare some people away, but, but we don't know that. You know, For all we know, BYU is a slam dunk. They have a great football program, great athletic department, and whatnot. Uh, or none of these schools have a chance. You know, the, the scenario that's starting to creep back into the picture a little more than I initially thought, and our friend Dennis Dodd had a story about this uh, on Tuesday, is that this could all just be a long way of reaching a point where they convince the TV partners, one of which is, of course, our employer, to just pay them more money to not expand. If I gave you percentages and I said 50, 50, over or under 50% chance that they don't expand, you taking the over? Uh, no. Uh, I, I, I'd say 60, I 60, 60% they do, 40% they don't. I would go the other way. So you're sure you you feel sixty percent certain at this point that after all this this whole charade of eighteen schools and PowerPoint presentation, they're going to come out and not expand. I I just don't know what they look at and go, okay, yeah, because it has to be an overwhelming majority to get them voted in. I just don't see the two school combination that that's definitely going to do that for them. There's a chance. I think there's a decent chance of that, but I'm not convinced that it's going to happen because, because I, I just don't, I just don't see it. I could, if you told me BYU is definitely getting in and I, I mean, I should preface this by saying I had this conversation with, with George Schroeder, who we've had on the podcast before uh, earlier today, you know, if you could tell me BYU is definitely getting in, I would, you know, on, on, on face value, I would say that I could see that. And then there would have to be another partner because you're not just going to add one. But if, if, if BYU in some president's eyes becomes a non-starter to them and take BYU out of the mix, I don't know, you know, if they look at it and go, cause I'm, I'm still a little skeptical that, that there'd be enough support for Houston. But all of a sudden you're left with, like you said, Cincinnati, which is kind of neutral but are you add in Cincinnati and Memphis, or are you add in Cincinnati and Colorado State. I'm not sure you're going to do that. You know, it, it would seemingly make sense that if you're going to add two, to add two from a similar part of the country, or you know, 
I mean, the other thing about BYU is it's a mountain time zone school far from the other schools. Now, if you group them with Boise State, then it's a little less drastic. You know, yes, there, I think it's going to be hard for them to reach a consensus on two schools. But I also feel like two is a small enough number that, you know, this idea that, oh, these schools are all terrible and they're going to water down the conference. Well, it's not really fair. But the ones we've just talked about, I mean, you give Houston Big 12 membership, they've already done pretty well without it. They're going to do even I, better. BYU. Yeah, I'm not saying that was the that's the issue for Houston. I don't think it's because it's like people are going to water down the conference. I just think that the support of Houston I think is the part I have the question of. Well, let me ask you this question that somebody on a radio show asked me and I hadn't really thought of. Um, If you were ranking the college football conferences right now, just purely on the field, would the Big 12 be fifth out of five? No. The Big 12 would probably be be fourth to me. Ahead of the ACC, I guess is what you're going to say? Yeah, because I just think that the ACC has one very good division and one really mediocre division. So let's say that let's just take the top six in the ACC because it's hard to compare a ten team to a fourteen team conference. So let's take the top six teams just in general. I don't know if this is going to be the order one through six this year, but we'll say Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, UNC, and then Miami and Virginia Tech, who traditionally are two of the better programs that they're going to have. Okay. Is that six less impressive to you than Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, Texas, and Texas Tech? Uh, a little bit. Interesting. See, I would say at this point the ACC's passed them, and maybe that's because, and maybe I wouldn't have said that a year ago at this time, but now Baylor feels like they're not going to be a national power anymore. And so that's one less kind of, uh, you know, team well, that keeps them in the national conversation. Now, somebody else will probably rise up. You know, maybe Texas gets it going under Charlie. Let Strong. me give you this this description though. In the, within the last six years, all, almost all those schools you mentioned to me were, were finished in the top five of the uh, of the Big Twelve at one time or another. Texas played for a national title. Oklahoma has made the playoff. Uh, TCU and Baylor finished in the top five. At least I believe they did. Um, Oklahoma I, uh, State. Yeah. What's that? No, I'll give you that. I think if you're looking backward over the past five or six years, the Big 12 would be stronger. I, I mean, North Carolina has really been, North Carolina has been pretty good a couple of those years, but not that good. Miami's been way underachieving. Virginia Tech has it's been a little while since they've been since they've been uh, that good. I mean, uh, like just going by what Virginia Tech has done. I mean, because you're giving them, they've had in the last four years they didn't have one season where they were finished ranked, and they've only had you have to go back to 2009 where they even cracked the top ten and they were ranked tenth. Well, what I'm saying is that I think they're heading in different directions. I think the ACC is on the way up. I think you've got – they made some great coaching hires in the offseason. I think the Big 12 is heading down, especially if Baylor gets down you know, pretty far for a considerable period. And so if the Big 12 in its current incarnation is either basically – we're basically arguing over whether they're the fourth or fifth best conference. 
that's why I think you do have to expand because you're not going to go up to first or second or even third by just hoping that your 10 current members get better. But weren't, you know, like two years ago, I think a lot of people, including both of us, probably would have had the big 10 in this discussion of fourth or fifth. I agree. Uh, it's, it's cyclical. Uh, conference strength comes and goes. Um, much of it tied to the quality of the head coaches in your conference, which the Big Ten, I would argue, has upgraded more than – I mean, in a few years span, the Big Ten has probably upgraded its coaching lineup more than any uh, conference in recent memory. So so maybe you're right. Maybe the Big 12, you know, Baylor in this coming offseason goes out and gets some home run higher. And um, Charlie Strong, I do think, will get it going at Texas. And maybe this is a moot point. But um, this is all a long way of going back to what I was saying before, which is I think – adding two teams is pretty harmless. I don't think it's going to water down the conference. And if anything, uh, if you pick the right programs, I think it could strengthen the conference. I think, and so I, so to your point that they're going to try to shoot down Houston, I think that would be in those schools that would ultimately not be in those schools self-interest. They may think, Oh, we're protecting our turf. We should keep Houston out, but you, you want your conference to be viable long-term. And I think Houston could with that power five membership really, Become a you know become what TCU's become in that conference to some degree. Um, the problem, as you've mentioned, is going to be getting the presidents to agree, getting eight of ten presidents to agree on two different schools. But ultimately, um, I don't know. I just don't think the quality of the programs is as poor as it's being made out to be. Like the story about how ESPN and Fox are pushing back on this, you know, made it seem like that the networks think they'd be completely devaluing the conference by bringing these brands in. I think they'd be devaluing it by bringing in four of them for sure. Cause now you're really reaching, but out of those schools we've talked about, I think any of that, any combination of two out of the, um, out of, uh, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. And I would argue out if you throw Boise state in there too, who most people seem to think doesn't have a realistic chance, but obviously a great football program. I think that strengthens the big 12. I mean, would you make the case that Maryland and Rutgers strengthen the Big Ten? Of course not. But what what's the recent history of Maryland and Rutgers compared to the recent history of Houston? Uh, Cincinnati played in two straight BCS Bowls in 08 and 09. Boise, obviously. You know, Maryland and Rutgers haven't done anything close to that. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, just wanted to kind of play devil's advocate there. Um I'm curious, since we're both watching the Olympics, maybe this is an awkward kind of you, – you watched a decent amount of the Olympics here for the last week? I got to be honest. I have not watched much of the Olympics. The three-hour delay for us on the West Coast, kind of a turnoff. Yeah, I feel like if I, um, you know, if I already know what happened from Twitter, why am I going to wait three hours to see it? But I was on the plane the other night. Flying east during the uh, during Usain Bolt's 100 meter, which I wa- which I was able to stream, and you know everybody seemed to be watching that. I mean, Twitter exploded, and led to a very interesting moment for me. I don't know if you caught this, but um, I just noticed that all of the stories and all the headlines referring to him as the world's fastest man. And sometimes, you know, you don't think much about these things; you just put it out there. I made a joke and I said. I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't get carried away just yet calling him the world's fastest man. There's going to be 25 football recruits this year that post a faster 40 time on Rivals. Um, people who got that joke thought it was hilarious. 
people who didn't, <laughs> I mean, I, for a brief moment there, had become the subject of, you know, when, when people are like, delete your account, you know, here's an example of a sports writer just being such a buffoon. Apparently, a lot of people <laughs> thought I was being dead serious, that I thought football, 25 football recruits were faster than Usain Bolt. Does that tweet still exist? Oh, yeah. It's been retweeted eight gazillion times. Now, I started following up with, like, some joking um, clarifications and then retweeting some of the people who thought I was such a moron. It's interesting because you just kind of assume, right, like, that my Twitter followers are college football fans and they have the same sensibility I do. And they know that, you know, recruits 40 times are notoriously unreliable. They always end up, you know, everybody on Rivals.com runs a 4-4 or 4-3 then they get to the NFL Combine, and oh, what do you know? That's actually a very hard time to attain. But no, uh, quite a few people did not get that joke. Uh, I, I would say it split right down the middle, in fact. It was uh, an interesting window because you had like this split between people who thought it was hilarious. And I mean, I had, I remember some, a woman whose Twitter handle was like Olympic Gold Mom was like, this is yet another reason why I hate football. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I've kicked off Olympic moms. You know, I think some of it probably has to do with when you tweet something, you think it's like people who follow you know, but a lot of times things get retweeted and those people don't know who you are. Correct. They just think you're some guy with his arms folded who looks <laughs> looks kind of correct. That, that's what you don't realize is they end up, you know, getting seen by other people. I mean, there were some people who were, you know, STFU. I think they were like huge Usain Bolt fans who were offended that this dude who they don't know was suggesting within minutes of the race ending that he wasn't as fast as everybody's making him out to be. He's fast. He's the fastest man on the planet. I'm not disputing that. I was making a joke about recruits 40 times. And our friend Lindsay Theory said, texted me later and said it was the best one-liner I've ever put out there. So I feel better about that. Hmm. I don't know if it's that funny. So I don't know if I should feel so good about it. Well, you know, it's never as funny when you're retelling it after the fact. In the moment, it was funny. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for it. I wasn't online at that time, I'm sure. I'm sure we were all in stitches. So Um, you're in Big 12 country. Did you happen to see what a former Big 12 coach said today? I did. Uh, I had Wi-Fi on half my flight here, on one of my flights here. And I think you're talking about uh, Art Bryles, the former Baylor coach? Correct. He's been on a bit of a – he's been on a tour of NFL training camps. And for reasons I can't quite figure out, he's actually talking to reporters. You know, I, I would assume part of those reasons he was at Houston Texans camp on Tuesday as we're taping. This is Tuesday night. Uh, this was his quote. I've been in it coaching 38 years and I've lived the right way 60 years of my life. And I have never done anything illegal, immoral or unethical. End quote. Uh, that did not sit well with a lot of people. No, because it seems to indicate that he's still completely oblivious to what happened under his watch. Now, and why is he not? Why is the most successful coach at Baylor not still at Baylor? You know, I don't. I wouldn't expect him to say he did something illegal. And I also, you know, obviously, who are going to have the right to defend themselves? And he clearly thinks he was wronged in all of this. But the the word that's just like makes you chuckle is to say, "I've never done anything unethical." Because forget this whole scandal. You're telling me, I mean. We all do unethical things at times, and football coaches in particular do unethical things, and it's particularly in recruiting. You're telling me that he can say with a straight face he's never done anything, forget illegal, unethical? Come on now. Yeah, so let's spring forward on this a little bit because 
he had mentioned in that interview with reporters at Texans camp that he had been contacted by some some teams, some schools about possible uh, vacancies this offseason that he'll be coaching in 2017. Yes, he has said on more than one occasion now that he's confident he'll be coaching in 2017, although he hasn't specified college or NFL, I don't think. Um, now, on the on the college side, I think here's why I think it's going to be hard for people. I don't doubt that somebody who who is either a booster or somebody has some money with a school may be trying to gauge his interest. But I think for a school to ultimately hire him, you're going to have to do a lot more vetting than, well, this is what this is this is what we know or whatever. You're going to have to do more digging than that. Also, I think what would be a concern is you know, after he was let go, there was there, remember there was a story a couple of weeks ago that Remy Hamadi, I think that's how he pronounced his last name, the offensive lineman who had gotten in trouble. And, you know, when you start to see some of the details that are that are still coming out. You know, if you hire Art Bryles and whether, again, we talked about lawsuits and everything else that are still in the pipeline, I just don't see a school be willing to take that on. You know, I know that there, I know that on one level you can say, okay, well, this guy on the field, like you said the last week, we we're talking about greatest coaches. You know, if he were still coaching, you'd have to rank him in the top 10, probably considering what he did on the field, but off the field, there's some significant concerns, not to mention the legal liability. You think that a school would be taken on if they, if they were to hire him. I'm going to read to you an exact quote from the Pepper Hamilton findings of fact. Baylor failed to take appropriate action to respond to reports of sexual assault and dated dating violence reportedly committed by football players. The choices made by football staff and athletics leadership in some instances posed a risk to campus safety and the integrity of the university. I don't see how a university pre- – now maybe the AD at – University A struggling, you know, trying to get fans in the stands. We could go out and hire Art Bryles. We'll score lots of points. We'll win lots of games. But the president of the university, how is he going to sign off on signing a coach who is was the, was in charge of the co- of the of the football staff and the football program that this law firm says posed a risk to campus safety and the integrity of the university? It's not happening. It's just not happening. Now, maybe years, a couple of years will go by and he'll get some distance from this. And you said you'll have to do some vetting. I think part of the problem for Art Bryles is even if he can somehow claim that, you know, he was set up and that you know, it's not what they made it seem and da, da 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 This is the extent of the vetting. There is no more detailed report that they can call up Baylor and get a hold of. They've maintained all along. This 13-page report is the extent of what happened. And how do you get around that line? I don't know. I mean, again, I I go back to some of the things that, that keep coming out that I think is, is something that I think is, would make it very hard for, for anyone to, to sign off on that. You know, I mean, beyond just the PR hit, I think it's in terms of like what you're opening up your, your campus to risk wise is something I just, not sure any university would want to engage in. And remember, you know, people can go, well, Bobby Petrino got hired again. This is a completely different animal here. I mean, what Bobby Petrino did, not, I shouldn't maybe use the term animal, but what Bobby Petrino got fired for uh, was a much different situation than, 
then why Art Bryles is no longer coaching at Baylor. All right, we'll get back to the podcast in a second, Bruce, but exciting. We have yet another new sponsor this week, and that is SeatGeek. I know you're familiar with SeatGeek. Who isn't? Yeah. What, what, what college sports fan isn't familiar with SeatGeek? Well, I know it's the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or a concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I just used it the other day to look at tickets for, I wanted to see Guns N' Roses when they came to San Francisco, so I went looking for that. But I didn't actually end up going to the show, so maybe that was a bad example. But as you know, Bruce, everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. It does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work, and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. And best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So here's what you do to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the SeatGeek app. Go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter promo code audible. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So download the the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code audible today that promo code is just flying around the internet at this point you can use it to buy mattresses uh flowers and now tickets um it's a very timely ad i must say because uh season's almost here and i'm sure people are uh, trying to get tickets to their team's opening week game as we speak funny you should mention bobby petrino um i i'm in south bend now but yesterday i was at louisville and it was surreal, to say the least, to, to sit down with Bobby Petrino back at Louisville. I can remember visiting with him 10 years ago or so when Brian Brom was quarterback and uh, they were in the Big East and all that good stuff. Obviously, he was not implicated in anything remotely like this. But I think we could all agree that in 2012, when he had just been fired from an SEC school, for hiring his mistress and getting in a motorcycle accident lying about it, never in a million years would we have said, oh, I bet he'll be back coaching Louisville in a couple of years. No, I, I certainly wouldn't have thought that. I so mean, that's why I'm saying anything's possible. Maybe two years from now, Bryles will be a coach in probably not in the Big 12, but in some other major conference, and, and he will have done the whole rehabilitation tour, I'm a changed man, da 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 like Bobby Petrino did. And by the way, Bobby Petrino is very different in, in one respect. He's much more, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I can remember one of those times I interviewed him in the previous tenure, going back and trying to transcribe the tape, and I could barely hear him because he was so he talked so in such a quiet tone. He just wasn't good at talking to reporters. Very engaged yesterday, you know, very comfortable, um, just completely different than I remembered him last time. Hmm. So tell me about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is the real deal. Uh, I got to watch practice and, uh, you remember watching him last year in the games, you know, especially like he came in as his very first game as a true freshman against Auburn, completely raw. Didn't know what he was doing out there. Just, you know, a good athlete trying to get by on that. Um, and then, Fast forward to the bowl game where he just shredded A&M, 
And then, you know, if you, I remember seeing the quotes from ACC media days where he kept saying, well, I didn't know the plays last year. You know, I, I had just gotten there. I didn't know any of the plays. I was just kind of winging it out there. Now I know the playbook. Well, at least in practice situations, he did. He looked very poised, very much like a, you know, seasoned college quarterback. He, you know, it's a practice, so you're not really seeing him run. You know, that's not even, that doesn't really come into the factor. You're just watching him pass and, uh, you know, very sharp very accurate. He has great receivers to work with. I mean, they have a great receiving core. They have good tight ends. Brandon Radcliffe, the running back, is a guy who, you know, you knew his name, but he hasn't been that productive. But Petrino's been talking him up all preseason, and I see why. He's a good runner. Um, If their offensive line is better, he'll be solved as a long way saying they could have a pretty scary good offense, but Lamar Jackson will be the guy that makes it go. Mm -hmm. I sat down with him for a little bit. I sat down with Devontae Fields for a little bit, who talk about, you know, kind of a rehab tour. I mean, it's been four years since he was the Big 12 freshman of the year. Uh, it's been a long journey back to this point. But, I mean, this is a guy who could be one of the top pass rushers in the country. When you talk to Devontae Fields, and maybe this is part of your story, so I shouldn't bring up too much of it, but I mean, how does he address his past? the issues of why he's no longer at TCU? Uh, he's pretty, like, you know, he doesn't shy away from it. He's pretty well-spoken about it. Um, he kind of refers to it as when that event happened at TCU. Um, you know, it's not like he uh, got the, you know, it's not like he turned around after he got kicked out and was playing at a major school the next year. I mean, he had to go the JUCO route to get back to it. Then he gets to Louisville last year. He's completely out of shape. He really didn't do much for the first half of last season. He ended up getting a lot of sacks over the last, I want to say, four or five games of the season. In fact, so many that if you just didn't know that and looked at his numbers at the end of the year, you'd be like, wow, he had a huge year. And so, you know, he he could have turned pro last year. Barely said he barely even considered it. Um, you know, now that he got this second chance, he wanted to make the most of it, get his degree. Not ready for the NFL yet, uh, but now definitely. Uh, he, he he made a joke that I hadn't that he referred to, jokingly referred to Louisville's defense as first round U because it's true. The last few years, like Sheldon Rankins last year, they've they've had a nice little run of NFL picks there, and I think he would like to be obviously the next one. Hmm. Be interesting to see how high he goes. Obviously, he does have some baggage that teams are going to have to decide what they're comfortable with. He does, and I also think he's going to have to have a big year. I mean, if he has another season like last year, they're not, he's not going to be able to say, well, it was because I wasn't in football shape yet. You know, they're going to want to see production. But uh, that defense, Todd Grantham's defense kind of is set up in a way to put him in position. You know, he'll mostly be outside linebacker, but they're going to put him wherever he can get free, get to the quarterback. I uh, don't know. Hard to say much about Louisville's defense in general. Don't know how it'll be. I just know that Petrino is a great offensive coach. You've seen him do it before. You've seen him do it the uh, Louisville the first time at Arkansas. I mean, they're now that they've got the quarterback, which they frankly didn't have the last couple of years. I think they're going to be really good on offense. And what chance? I don't do have get- to convince you. You've been high on them all off season. Yeah, I think I was high on them from the time that the, watching them in the bowl game. Uh, but we know that they have two really good good teams in front of them in their own division. Right. How realistic is it to think that they could be the team that emerges from the ACC? 10% chance, better than that, what? 
I, well, let's take it from this step. I think it's certainly feasible that they beat one of those teams. In fact, the last two years, both Florida State and Clemson got a serious scare when they came into Louisville. This year, it'll be FSU will play there, and they'll go to Clemson. So it's certainly capable they beat one of them. And if they do that, then they're right in the mix, right, to finish first in the division. But I just think that one of those teams, FSU or Clemson, is going to go undefeated. They're both, you know, they're just a a step or two above Louisville, I think. And Louisville is really good, but they don't have, I mean, draft picks galore up and down the offense and defense the way uh, Clemson and Florida State do. I do think Lamar Jackson's a really good quarterback, but Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback in the country. Well, I hope to learn as much at my next visit as I did about Louisville at that visit. Notre Dame, uh, as we're reporting this, media day is, today's Tuesday, media day is Wednesday, and there'll be an open practice. I'm uh, excited to get a look at the two quarterbacks, obviously, Zaire and uh, Deshaun Kaiser competing for the job, but also... uh, some of the freshmen, some of the, you know, Notre Dame's got a lot of freshmen that are being talked up that could play. So once I uh, see that, I'll give you a report on the next podcast, and you'll agree to give me a report about uh, what you see at Oklahoma. Okay. I also think we would be remiss if you did not thank uh, an a, a on-air buddy of ours who gave you some insight on the strength of scheduling question that we fumbled around last week. Great call. So um, we talked about strength of schedule and how somebody asked a question about it. And I was trying to make the point, and I didn't do it very well, that um, I said it, that I remembered it from an interview for an article a couple years ago. Now I remember that the person I spoke to was Brian Fremo, uh, who does a lot of the good analytics stuff out there. Uh, his site is uh, BCF, bcftoys.com, and he actually has done a very interesting visual charting of exactly what we're talking about, which is which schedule is tougher? Well, it depends on who's playing that schedule. You know, uh, uh, I'll try to get it right this time. If you're the 42nd ranked team, you are going to want, you're not going to want to play a schedule that's like, doesn't have, you would think, oh, okay, they don't have to play, like, let's use a specific team, Indiana. If I said to you, Indiana is going to play a schedule where they don't have to play Ohio State and Michigan, and Michigan State, let's say they don't play any of those three, you'd say, well, wow, okay, that's going to be an easy schedule. Well, not if the other teams on the schedule are all ranked in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, because Indiana could theoretically lose to any of them. Um, They would probably rather play a schedule that has Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, just concede that they're going to lose those, but then has three or four teams that even they would be considered uh, have an easy chance to beat. Does that make sense? It does a little more now that you're armed with actual actual perspective as opposed to last week where I really felt like we were going around. In oh, circles. I was winging it. Well, his tool, which uh, actually I'll give you the specific URL, bcftoys.com slash chartball dash SOS. It's a cool visual representation where you can see what a team's expected record would be. Uh, strength of schedule calculate as number of losses an elite team would have with this team schedule. An elite team, a good team would have with the team schedule, and an average team would have with the team schedule. So, again, like that average team, what's tougher for them might not be the same as what's tougher for the elite team. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, thank you for giving us the giving me the opportunity to do that shout out. 
And uh, also, I'm just glad you were able to do this podcast because you kind of went AWOL for about 72 hours, and we had to, Teddy and I had to check and make sure you were still with us. Yeah, I had a little, uh, a little some kind of virus or whatever that came on, and what I've noticed, and which I think you will notice, is when you have kids that go to daycare, you start getting sicker and sicker, or more often, and all of a sudden, I got like a, a wicked fever and was sleeping a lot, and so I was offline for about, I don't know, about 48 hours, and now I'm, I, I, the crazy part was I have completely, I had no appetite. I think I went that 48 hours consuming a grand total of about 700 calories, which can for me, when I'm pretty strict about my diet, I know what I eat and what I don't. It's just kind of like I had no appetite for anything. So, and I'm slowly working my way back into it now. And I'm fortunate to be on this trip because 24 hours beforehand, I was like, I may have to have an excuse for the box people because I don't know how this is going to work. Well, I'm glad you uh, got over that. I'm glad you were able to make it. I do not look forward to, I don't like being sick. So, I don't look forward to this idea that you get sick from your kids. Uh, obviously, Ours is six months old and doesn't go to any sort of daycare yet. You know, by the way, you, you would appreciate this. I got um, uh, Madeline, for the most part, had been down to getting up once a night during the night, but then she'd be hard to put back down. She'd be very hungry. Uh, doctor said start giving her more solid foods during the day. I wake up this morning to an email that, of course, the night that I'm not home, for the first time she slept 11 hours straight. She slept through the night. Big moment. That is a big moment. Yeah. I would have just asked yep. her to do it remember. again when I get home. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I've slept 11 hours straight. Well, I don't know that the adults get to sleep 11 hours, but if the baby does, that's great. Do you find that when you go on the road, you like, you know, people think, oh, it's glamorous life you sports writers have. You go to these towns and you, you, want, you probably go out drinking, stay up to all hours. Do you find out you have young kids that going on the road, it just means like, oh, I get to go to the hotel and I can actually sleep a full night? No, unfortunately, I put so much pressure on myself to get good sleep that I don't get good sleep. The other thing is I usually, even if I go out for a little bit, I'll have a couple of beers. That usually means at 4 in the morning I have to go out and, and, and pee out some beer. So it's uh, I'm not complaining about it, but I usually don't get the good sleep. Like you're basically saying you're really old. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I hope you get some sleep on this trip, though. I know you're, you know, traveling man. You're going to go to more than just one school on this trip. Um, unfortunately, this is going to be a one podcast week just because of our respective travel schedules. We'll come back at you next week, at which point uh, I will be able to fill you in more in Notre Dame. Bruce will be able to fill you in more Oklahoma and perhaps another school. And as always, if you enjoy the Audible, you should subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.